of the Critics Corner podcast. Another solo NBA pod today. So much has happened since the last NBA podcast we did a couple weeks ago after the Nuggets won the championship. We've had three really big trades and the NBA draft last week. Uh, lots of rumors swirling around, and we're, we're heading into free agency. Uh, for for many, their you know their favorite part of of the NBA calendar, even more so than the actual games that take place. As we see a lot of rosters being reconstructed, and, and we really get to see like what front offices are thinking, how how they think they they can improve their teams, uh, what they need to do to improve their team, um, and, and all that different stuff. So very interesting time of the year for sure, and. You know, we're going to cover really everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks on this podcast. Um, specifically, obviously, going to start with the draft. You know, some winners and losers, some main takeaways, um, some questions heading out of the draft as well. Going to talk the CP3 trade that went down yesterday. Uh, we're going to talk the the Celtics, Wizards, Grizzlies trade. Obviously, that one impacts my favorite team, so that's going to be. Uh, I have my thoughts on that one as well. And then the Bradley Beal trade, him, Bradley Beal going to Phoenix um, and, and Washington not getting one first-round pick in return for their two best players, Bradley Beal and Chris Tapps Porzingis. But still looking kind of kind of frisky. Uh, people are, are kind of high on this this Wizards team next year, not necessarily being you know a playoff contender, but being not not a bottom team in the east i'm not so sure um, but they are at least have some interesting players now um, as a result of basically trading up or, or trading all of their you know star power if you can even call it that they were a, a losing team last year didn't even make the plan but you get the point they're at least a little bit interesting and obviously they will you know start their rebuild next season um and move forward with that nonetheless last night we had the nba draft uh, out in brooklyn Obviously, no surprise when Binyama goes one. You love to see it for, for the Spurs. They get their, what everyone seems to think, you know, franchise player for the next 15 years or, or however long he can stay in the league. I'm obviously high on this guy. I think he's going to be a great player, all-star, all-star caliber, all-NBA guy. He's a guy that's going to step in right away and at least, you know, bare minimum next season be able to be an elite rim rim protector, one of the best defenders in the league right away. There's a very good chance he can make an all-NBA team his rookie season. You know, the guy's going to average four or five blocks a game just because, you know, because of that height, his insane wingspan, and the fact that he can, you know, he, he's very quick on his feet, so, you know, he can contest a shot at the rim and then also get out to the corner if the if the if it's the ball's whipped out into the corner for a three-point sh- shot. He can you know, contest shots as well out there. So very versatile defender. Uh, he's going to be the f- face of the franchise for the Spurs moving forward. There's not really much you need to say about this. You know what's going to happen. It really felt like the draft started at 2 and 3. We knew it was going to be some combination of Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. We didn't know the order that it was going to be in. We had Shams Sharania tweeting out, I want to say it was around 10 or 11 local time here in Chicago um, yesterday that Scoot Henderson was gaining a lot of traction in, in the Hornets front office. And it looks like they might be going Scoot Henderson at number two instead of Brendan Miller when Brendan Miller was the guy that was hyped up throughout the entire draft, draft process at going number two. You know, Brendan Miller, 6'9", wing out of Alabama. Um, 
can put the ball in the basket. There's no denying that. 18 points per game last year on 38% from the three-point line. Also a really good rebounder, average 8.2 rebounds. Um, he's a tall scorer. You know, he can play make. Um, he can pretty much do everything on the court that you want, you know, with his, his weakness maybe being uh, his, his, his frame. He's a little skinny in his chest and his legs. Um, and I think he has the potential to turn into a good NBA defender if he can fill out, right? Um, that's kind of the, the issue with him. And obviously you have the off-the-court issues, um, which, you know, for what it's worth, Brandon Miller wasn't charged with anything. Um, but just the optics around that whole situation look really bad, um, in my opinion. And, I mean, if we're being honest, if I want to, you know, give my take on on the Miller to to Charlotte pick, it it's interesting because there's so much buzz for Scoot being this, you know, elite um, athlete, um, human highlight reel, you know, he, he's got that dog in him. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to come in and, and give, you know, his his all. Um, he, he's, he's a culture changer and all of that, whereas you don't necessarily have that type of feel um, with a Brandon Miller. But a Brandon Miller is, like I said, a 6'9 wing. He's the kind of player that everyone in the NBA is looking for. You know, to to be a franchise altering guy, you know, it's it's usually wings that win championships. Um, wings are bigs, right? You know, obviously Jokic this year. Um, you have Kevin Durant for so long. Um, you had LeBron, obviously. Um, it, it's really it, it, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George, guys like that, right? And, and interestingly enough, Brendan Miller said Paul George is his goat, which I mean, in that that comment alone, in my opinion, I, I'm, not, I'm not drafting the guy. And then he also had those interesting comments about Michael Jordan um, in, in an interview with SiriusXM Radio. I want to say it was on Tuesday or Wednesday before the draft. Basically, uh, t- talking a little trash about Jordan. Um, maybe it was friendly banter, um, but he, he's basically saying he saw him airball a free throw, and he's old, and you know, and, and kind of taking a little shape taking a little shots um, at MJ. So, you know, when that report dropped that Scoot Henderson is potentially going to, I thought maybe those comments from Miller actually had some type of impact on uh, the Charlotte's, the the Hornets' thought process on what they want to do with that pick, just because I feel like MJ would be that kind of guy that'd be like, oh, you, you, you're talking shit about me? You think I'm old? You saw me airball free throw and you're going to tell tell the world about it? Okay, that's cool. Go Go enjoy Portland. Not that, you know, Charlotte's any type of, you know, amazing destination basketball-wise right now. Nonetheless, the Hornets go Miller at two, and the Blazers go Scoot at three. I mean, I like the fit for, for Charlotte, for sure. I think I think Brandon Miller can be a really good NBA player. I think he has, you know, all-NBA upside if, if he can fill out. Um, I think I, I, I just worry about his his... his his character, I think, you know, him and Lamelo. Who's like the leader in Charlotte? You know, no one. They have Mark Williams, who you know was a rookie last season, played really well um, down the stretch. Charlotte actually played really well down the stretch, surprisingly enough. Um, still finished, you know, with with the second overall pick. So things worked out for them. They did show signs. Um, you got Gordon Hayward on an expiring deal. Terry Rozier locked up for three more seasons. Lamelo is going to get uh, a rookie max extension here soon. I just don't feel great about this team whatsoever. Um, do you bring back Miles Bridges? I don't know. Like, how far does a Lamelo Ball 
Brandon Miller one-two punch take you? That remains to be seen. They're both still so young. LaMelo Ball hasn't played any relevant basketball in, in his entire career. I think people are really low on LaMelo at this point. And I, maybe deservingly so, but I do think, you know, he's only played a couple seasons in the NBA. Uh, he just finished his third season, right? Uh, he's been hurt for a lot of that. A lot of them were fluke injuries. Um, he hasn't played, you know, really any relevant, like any winning basketball. And, and I think that's more of a, a comment on, like, the team that Charlotte's built around, built around him rather than him himself. Because I do think he has the... The characteristics of a winning basketball player. Sure, he, he probably shoots the ball a little bit more than you would like. But like, who else on that roster it, it, do you want taking shots? P.J. Washington, Gordon Hayward. I mean, Gordon Hayward's always hurt, so you know that kind of negates that guy. Hit him out there, and Terry Rozier is another shot chucker at point guard. So now you finally have a, a, a really good second option that Lamelo can trust. You would think to score the ball, put up twenty points per game, um, and I, I think. You know the pick and roll game with Mark Williams and Lamelo will only develop. You got Brandon Miller, um, who who can also create himself. So I actually really do like this fit. I don't necessarily know how a Scoot Lamelo backcourt would work, especially defensively. You know, there's big knocks on Scoot defensively, um, and I understand like you don't want to draft for fit this early in the draft. But I do think like there is a very good chance Brandon Miller just ends up being the better prospect than Scoot Henderson. Um, a lot of people are saying it's a terrible pick. I don't know. I mean, Brandon Miller is the prototypical type of player that you want to have in the NBA. So that's my only, that's my, you know, that's my opinion on that one. I, it remains to be seen, naturally, as is true with all of, you know, professional sports draft. We're going to have to wait five to 10 years to really make a final verdict on, on what, you know, this one, this two, three combo right here. The thing with Portland getting Scoot Henderson at three. And there were rumors that they were trying to move out of this pick. Um, apparently, they they uh, offered the number three pick and Anthony Simons to to Brooklyn for Mikal Bridges. Brooklyn took that down or, or turned that down. So, you know, Brooklyn obviously thinks very, very highly of Bridges. And rightfully so. You know, he's, he's another one of those wing guys that can create for himself. Average 25 points per game. Plus, you know, he really, really impressed after that Kevin Durant trade. Yeah, I think Phoenix really misses him. So rightfully so, you know, they held on to Bridges for, for that kind of package. Scoot Henderson, the thing, you know, we know what he is. He's a great athlete. He's, you know, going to have a ton of highlight reel dunks. Um, he can lead the offense. He's a floor general. Um, the shot is not there. He shot 27% from three in the G League last season. Um, but And he's 6'2", so he's small. But he, uh, he's built like a linebacker. So you he has the body that projects to maybe be able to hold up a little bit defensively. Like, for example, Steph Curry, you know, a guy that he came into the league and was a turnstile on defense over the, you know, second half of his career, he's been able to become a competent defender. So I think the the frame, the, the mindset is there for Scoot to become a good defender. So I'm not necessarily down on, on him for that. But my thing with Portland is... You have Dame, you have Anthony Simons, you have Scoot Henderson. All, you know, Anthony Simons is making 20-something million dollars a year. Dame's on an insane contract. He's at, at the point where he's going to be earning $60 million here in a few seasons. And on top of that, you know, he's already 30, he'll be 33 next season. Yeah, and he's at 45 mil, 48 mil, 58 mil, and $63 million in the 26-27 uh, season. So he's owed 
a boatload of money. Anthony Simons is at 24, 25, and 27 million. You got Shaden Sharp, another really young guard who was raw heading into the draft, had a, a decent rookie season, but you know he did show signs, kind of an elite athletic um, guard as well, highlight real dunks, very similar players, right? So they have all these guys in the backcourt that are so similar and do a lot of the same thing, same things. There's, I just don't think there's any way that they run out Lillard, Simons, Sharp, and Scoot Henderson next season. And I also don't think that there's really any move that Portland can make right now to keep Dame on the roster and become a contender next season. Because they don't really have much cap space because they have so much money tied up in Lillard, Simons, Nurkic, that Nurkic contract is is rough he's at 16.8 18 million and 19 million so he's under control for three more seasons he's taken up 12 percent of your, uh, of your cap space they're they're limited in what they can do and you have an aging damian lillard who's on a a crazy contract my argument is there's only so many more years in my opinion and i know damian lillard had his best season yet last year there's only so many more seasons where I think Dame is going to have the value that he has right now, considering he's an aging guard and he's undersized. So he's, it's, I mean, I know the three-point shot is there, so maybe he can age nicely the way I project a Steph Curry to age. But I'm going to err on the side of caution and say, it, it, you know, six, you're not going to be wanting to pay Damian Lillard $63 million in the 26-27 season. I think Portland has to move, and there was reporting from Shams after the draft that it seems like Portland is going to probably have to move on from him um, and start fresh. And I think that's the right move, just because I just don't think there's anything they can do this offseason that's going to make them a contender. So you move you move Dame. Where do you move him? It's looking like it's the only two real options you would think are a Miami and a Brooklyn. We already, you know, apparently there was a trade offer to Brooklyn for, for Bridges that they turned down. You know, so I mean, does a Damian Lillard take that move over the hump, or or are you know Brooklyn able to retain Bridges in a Damian Lillard trade? You know, it does 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 Portland want those pick swaps from Houston that they that Brooklyn got in in the James Harden trade? You know, Brooklyn does have a lot of picks, but I don't think Brooklyn necessarily is going to be able to contend. You know for a championship with Damian Lillard on the roster next season. So Dame's in a weird spot because we know he wants to chase rings at this point in his career, you would think. But I don't necessarily think he's going to be able to do it in, in Brooklyn. So naturally, the only other landing spot for him is Miami. And, you know, Miami, just in the finals, um, the only real player on their roster that I think you could trade for a Damian Lillard is like a Tyler Hero. I think I talked about this on the last podcast. They're going to have to, they'd have to do Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero just to match the salaries. But then, and then maybe Kyle Lowry could be the aging veteran point guard to mentor all of these, these young guys in Portland. But I mean, I'm sure he doesn't, he wouldn't really take, enjoy that um, at this point in his career. Tyler Hero is another young he's 24 overpaid not necessarily overpaid but he's making a lot of money 27 29 31 and 33 million over the next four seasons he's another one of those score first smaller frame guards that doesn't necessarily bring much on the defensive end do you really want tyler hero taking up shade and sharps minutes 
at this point uh, if you're you know kind of starting a rebuild if you're if you're Portland do you want him taking Anthony Simons minutes do you want him taking away um, Scoot Henderson's minutes they just have so many young guards on this Portland team at this point that I just I there are less Damian Lillard trades out there than you would think now there could be a total surprise uh, team come in just does New York get into the Damian Lillard business the Knicks I mean that doesn't make much sense to me with Jalen Brunson on that roster and I don't think they would I, I think Knicks fans would riot if you move Jalen Brunson after the season he had for them last year there's a Trey Young thing in Atlanta you could do I do think that you know Trey Young is kind of like a staple in that city. He's a he's kind of the a, 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 the star guy in that city. He means a lot to that city. So I don't necessarily think Atlanta w- would do that. And does like a Damian Lillard, Dejounte Murray backcourt really change things that much for them? I'm, they have a lot of depth. So you know, and, and they have a lot of young pieces, a lot of guys that we like. You know, but I don't think a move for Damian Lillard to Atlanta makes them. NBA Finals contenders next season either. So, you know, all the contenders have their point guards, right? Drew Holiday in Milwaukee. Now, Drew Holiday hinted that he might want to retire after his deal runs out. Do you move Dame to Milwaukee? I I think that maybe is a bit of a sleeper. Um, Milwaukee doesn't have their picks because they're all in New Orleans. So what else can Milwaukee bring back uh, in that deal for Dame? I don't think Boston would do it. And Dame said he doesn't really want to go to Boston. Philly, you could do like a James Harden sign and trade, but does I don't think if you're Portland, you really want to get into the James Harden business. Cleveland, Darius Garland, I don't see that. So there's really not many there's not many options for for Damian Lillard to 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 move. But I I do think Portland is now in a tough spot after keeping that pick, where they they can't keep all these guards for next season. So they're gonna have some decisions to make here in the next few weeks. Outside of that, uh, which I think was kind of the most interesting part of this year's draft, Amen, Amen and Azur Thompson go four and five. Amen to Houston, uh, Azur to Detroit. Amen being the more high upside guy. Uh, his shot is a little bit broken at this point in his you know young career, um, but he's another young piece for a Houston team that's full of youth. Um, they also picked up Cam Whitmore, a huge faller in this year's draft, um, at number 20. And, you know, Sam Bassini at The Athletic, a guy that, you know, everyone across the NBA thinks really highly of, media and executives included, um, had him, like I said, third in his big board, and he falls all the way to 20. There's a reason for that. And apparently, you know, his coach at Villanova didn't necessarily endorse him too strongly. Apparently, there might be a little bit of an attitude issue there. Um, And I, I think it's telling that you had the Lakers at 17, the Heat at 18, and the Warriors at 19. Three front offices that you would say know what they're doing. Certainly the Heat and, and the Warriors passing on them. I think that says a lot. And then, you know, Houston finally says, all right, screw it. We'll take him at 20. So I do like this draft for Houston. And I think they might be a little frisky next season. I, the, the main concern with them is their oldest player on their roster right now is Jason Tate at 28 years old. They do have a ton of cap space, so they can go out in in the summer and go out and make. I mean, there's rumors that they want to get a Dylan Brooks. I don't think that's the kind of guy you want to bring into a situation where there's not necessarily a clear and a way leader on this roster. You know, you would think Jalen Green's that guy. They refer to him as the King of Houston, which 
you know, let's just forget that they have the Houston Astros who have won two MLB champion uh, World Series championships at, at this point. Uh, I, I, and you know, there's no one on the Texans that's relevant. So it's Jalen Green and maybe like a Jose Altuve. Um, nonetheless, you know, they have no one. Their highest paid payer is Kevin Porter Jr. at $15 million. So they have a ton of youth, and he's 23 years old. So they go out and get somebody in free agency. I, I don't think they do the James Harden deal. Uh, or, you know, bring James Harden back. Because why would James Harden want to join this team? You know, at this point in his career, James Harden needs to be ring chasing. Uh, and if he if he goes back to Houston, it shows that he clearly does not care that much about winning. And maybe he cares more about the, the lifestyle that comes with NBA basketball than, you know, the grind, as Damian Lillard would say. Um, so, I, I you know, Houston's been able to accumulate some very interesting young talent. You got a Jalen Green uh, in his third year next year, Jabari Smith Jr., who who showed signs of becoming a real a real guy um, in his you know toward the February through the end of the season. Um, I think his shot mechanics are there. I think the shot will eventually fall for him, and he's you know has the defensive upside that at the bare minimum this guy's going to be a serviceable um, NBA player. Jason Tate, Alperin Sengun, who I've always been high on um, at, at center. I think he's a, a throwback big, but I, I, I like him. Uh, Tari Eason, you know, I, I loved him in his rookie season last year, showing a lot of um, athleticism, just want to. So you add uh, Azur Thompson, an explosive athlete um, with a, a crazy high upside um, in this year's draft. I like that move for Houston. They just, there's so much youth. And I know now they bring in Ime Yudoka, so he's kind of the guy that can, you know, maybe be a culture setter. I, I know he had those issues at the end in Boston, so maybe that won't be the case anymore. But he did set the culture in that 2021-2022 uh, season when Boston made the run to the finals. Um, he set those guys straight early on in the season. He wasn't afraid to stand up to them and, and, and all that. So I think he, he can maybe be a culture setter in Houston, but they still need to bring in some veterans. Um, if they want to, you know, maybe, I, I don't think they can contend for a playing spot next year. Um, but I do think that they had a really good night last night. Um, tons of youth, tons of youth, but, you know, hopefully they maybe bring in some some type of culture setter um, as well, like from the player side this year in, in free agency. And then Azur Thompson, yeah, he went number five to Detroit. I thought that was interesting. Twins go back-to-back, obviously. Um, he's another guy... He's more of a sure thing than than Amen. Amen just has more of an upside, um, and Azor is certainly certainly the better shooter. Um, he's six six with a seven foot wingspan. Um, he's again he's a he's a playmaker, um, really good athlete. He he's a lockdown defense de- defender. Um, he can score downhill. Crafty finisher. Uh, I expect him to come in and be a, a perfect guy to compliment Cade Cunningham in that backcourt. He probably won't be starting day one f- for Detroit um, just because they still have Jaden Ivey, who you know, he'll be in his second year. So this is another really young team that it, it's still going to take some time um, for them to develop. But they bring in Monty Williams. That's the thing with the Rockets and the Pistons is they brought in two veteran coaches. I, I mean, I guess Udoka is not really a veteran, but he's been in the NBA Finals. Monty Williams is certainly a veteran coach um, that's you know been around and and you know most recently helped um, bring bring the Suns to within two games of an NBA championship in in 2022. Um, 
I, I know Detroit paid him the bag uh, just to get him. They paid him probably too much money to, just to get him. I would be curious to see if that kind of offsets or sets the standard for um, contracts uh, for coaches moving forward. But naturally, you know, moving from Phoenix to Detroit, you're probably going to have to pay the guy a little bit more money uh, to do that. Nonetheless, I think he can be a culture setter for them. I think the Pistons know what they're doing in their front office. Um, I really like their decision to keep Boyan Bogdanovich last season instead of moving him to to a contender for you know probably not much in return. So they're they're a team that I think could potentially, if Cade Cunningham can stay healthy next season, push for a playing spot. You know people forget they did pick up James Wiseman, former number one pick last year. Um, they they traded for him with with the Warriors. They have Marvin Bagley, so they have a, a few reclamation projects. Um, and then Cade, who, you know, really the future of this franchise depends on Cade Cunningham. Again, Detroit were huge losers of, of the lottery last season, this year, um, when they finished with the worst record in the league and, and got the fourth, or sorry, the fifth pick. They, they got totally screwed. Um, but we'll see. You know, I, I would say I'm not as high as I was on the Pistons this time last year. Uh, JJ Redick, I remember, was saying that the Pistons are kind of next up and they're the next big thing. Um, unfortunately, I don't necessarily, I'm just worried about Cade, his health, um, two straight seasons where he's missed the, a big chunk of it. So that remains to be seen, but I still think they have a bright future. And I, I like the draft that they had getting, um, Ezra Thompson. Outside of that, I did like what Dallas did training down from 10 to with OKC, um, at 12, getting Derek Lively, former top recruit center from Duke, going to be a really good rim protector from day one. Battled injuries last season, didn't really get things going um, toward the end of toward you know the back half of the season. Duke also just wasn't really a good team last year. He you know heading into college, he was projected as this modern big that can shoot it, stretch the floor, um, and he really kind of just ended up being a rim protector, rebounder, um, spoon-fed dunks for Duke last season. But again, like you don't need much from, or you don't ask much from players that play around Luka Doncic. So I think it's good to have a, a lob threat, a rim runner, a rim protector um, in Dallas. So I like that move. Um, I, I like the Thunder getting Carson, or sorry, not Carson, Kaysen Wallace, from Kentucky. I thought it was interesting. Kentucky wasn't really a good team last season. Nonetheless, Kaysen still goes number 10. You know, he's uh, obviously 6'4 guard, 6'8 wingspan, can really handle the ball. Um, he's tough. He's really tough, good defensive versatility, um, and was able to, you know, generate turnovers, um, guard bigger and smaller players. So kind of an all-around type of guy. Decent shooter, 35% from three last year. Um, really good passer. So another guard that can handle the ball for OKC. They have a lot of those, I will say. So I, I think maybe they project Kaysen to be a guy that can run their bench unit. I'm not quite so sure because obviously they have uh, Josh Giddy, who's you know has all NBA potential at this point in his career. One of my favorite players in the entire league, non-Grizzly. So interesting move there, but I, I did like that trade for, for both sides. Uh, Orlando gets Anthony Black and Jet Howard at six and eleven. Anthony Black, you know, former top recruit, had a disappointing season at Arkansas. One of those long, rangy, um, defensive, versatile guys in this year's drafts. Orlando loves those guys. 
Uh, and then Jed Howard from Michigan at 11, who uh, probably could have gone, you could have gotten him at like 15, um, but they get him at 11. You know, there's so much hate that comes down with some of these picks and, you know, guys have certain guys in their mock drafts and we all look back on it in a few years and just laugh at like, wow, we had that guy so high, but ended up being a bust. So I don't, especially in this year's draft where it just didn't feel like it was that strong of a draft outside of the top. I mean, there's a fall off after the top three and then you have the Thompson twins at four and five. And then there's a really big fall off between everybody else. So I don't think there's many franchise altering guys in this year's draft, but there's guys that contenders can look at and try to get um, for example, um, a Brandon, uh, I'm not going to pr- uh, pronounce his name correctly, Pochzemski from Santa Clara, uh, going to Golden State. I like that move. Probably like a Jordan Poole replacement, and we'll talk about that trade here in a minute. Um, they're trying to get these guys on cheap deals that can maybe come in and contribute and play 10, 15 minutes in a playoff rotation. You think of a Christian Braun or a Christian Brown last year for the Nuggets, right? He was the only rookie that really played meaningful minutes for any team in the playoffs this year, um, and especially in the NBA Finals. So I think outside of the top five, you're really just looking at guys to come in and play roles and not necessarily are going to be franchise changers. Um, but I thought it was a fun draft. You know, I was listening to the Jays for days. Um, my two college friends had a live stream going and some of my buddies were in there chopping it up. So it was fun. Um, I thought Grady Dick to Toronto was interesting. Um, they get a shooter, a, a guard, you know, probably the best shooter in this draft to replace um, Fred Van Fleet, who opted out of his his player option. I like Jordan Hawkins. He's, you know, one of my favorite prospects in this year's drafts. Loved him in the tournament. Just think he ha- he's one of those guys that, as you could say, has the dog in him. Uh, but he goes to he goes to New Orleans, who I just think has too many guards and scorers um, on that roster right now to where I don't necessarily know how he fits in. And there's so many question marks right now around that New Orleans team. They were one of the teams rumored to be trading or interested in trading with Portland for that number three pick, uh, dangling Zion out there with everything that's been going on with him lately. Um, but, you know, New Orleans already has a C.J. McCollum, a Dyson Daniels, Kyra Lewis. Uh, they have um, Trey Murphy, who's a guy that wants, you know, should be continuing to get more reps um, from behind the arc. They got Alvarado. They got Herb Jones. So they have a lot of guys already in that front court and back court. I just don't know necessarily how he fits and how many minutes he's going to get for them. Uh, in terms of second rounders, I actually thought Trey Jackson Davis going uh, second to last pick in the draft. I think that pick is going to go to Golden State, if I'm not mistaken. Like that move for him. He was a guy that I thought should have left college after his freshman year. Uh, ends up staying for, I believe, the full four years. Um, but he tweeted out that I promise you guys will regret this. Maybe he's a second rounder that pops. Who knows? Amoni Bates, interestingly enough, went 49th overall to Cleveland. He was a guy that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as you know, being advertised as the next Kevin Durant. Disappointing at Memphis, had some off-the-court issues. Ends up at Eastern Michigan last year. Put up numbers um, on high volume. So interesting guy to follow there um, and watch him in summer league and see how he looks on an NBA court. Andre Jackson Jr. from UConn goes 36 to Orlando. I like that move for them. Getting him in the second round is nice. Luis's guy, Colby Jones from Xavier, goes to the Hornets. Decent pick there. So it was a fun draft. Um, obviously, you know, the biggest winner for me is, is the Spurs. 
uh, as basic as it sounds, for getting Victor Wimbanyama. And I surprisingly enough, I, I kind of like the, ultimately the Hornets' decision to get Brandon Miller uh, in Charlotte. Um, I just think they need a, a bona fide leader on that roster, but that they don't have right now. And they're, they're so young, um, and um, so they have some moves to make. Scoot Henderson is, leaves Portland in a very interesting situation, and I think Houston and Detroit got better last night as well. So fun draft overall, but heading into the draft yesterday, there was a huge trade that went down, as you all know by now. CP3 is moving to the Golden State Warriors in return for Jordan Poole and Ryan Rollins, another, you know, he's a rookie last season, didn't do much. A 2023 first rounder, that comes with the protection, and a 2027 second round pick. I found this move to be very fascinating for both sides. And just to start out with the Golden State side of things, I do think it makes sense to move on from Poole because I do think there was a real divide between those young guys and the the you know veteran established players on that roster. Obviously, you have or you had the Draymond Green punch on Jordan Poole uh, in training camp. I, I just feel like that's something you can't really recover from as a team throughout the course of the season. And they can say they tried and they can say all the right things in the media. But something was off with that team all of last year. And I do think that that Draymond Green punch ha- had a huge impact on, on their success last season. And I, I do think that there, you know, we, we saw Draymond opt out of his player option uh, over the weekend. But I do think that they're going to, to try to bring him back next season. Um, and, and I think he probably will ultimately end up re-signing with Golden State. I, if he goes anywhere else, I would think maybe it would be Los Angeles. Yeah, Lakers, if if the Lakers don't bring back Austin Reeves, because we do know that Draymond Green has, has an infatuation <laughs> with LeBron James. Um, nonetheless, I think it does make sense to move on from one of their young guys on the roster. And Jordan Poole was the guy they chose. He's, I mean, it makes sense. He's making the most money. He's making $27 million next season. And it's going to be up to 30, 32, and $34 million, um, in the 2024 through 2027 season. So... He's owed a lot of money. This is a team that was over the over the tax. From a basketball perspective, it's a bit of a head scratcher. I don't necessarily know how Chris Paul is going to fit in a backcourt with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I think he's certainly going to have to accept a, a diminished role. He's going to be 38 next season. Uh, he's owed so much money. So the Warriors are certainly going to be a tax team next year. Again, Curry's owed 51. Clay's owed 43. You got Paul at 30 million, 25 of that guaranteed. Uh, and then Andrew Wiggins at 24. Um, a lot of money for a lot of you know aging players outside of Wiggins there. Um, I think Curry, you know, you have to maximize the Curry year so it makes sense. But I do feel like this team is is totally um, trying to maximize the championship window for Stephen Curry, which makes sense. I just don't know how good they're going to be. Uh, once he retires, you know, inevitably here in the next five seasons, uh, he might retire after, you know, his contract ends in 2026 and he will be like 38, 39 years old. I think that's probably when he'll retire. Maybe he'll sign like a one-year send-off deal in Charlotte, his hometown. Uh, but the point remains the same. Like there's so much, this team's so old and, you know, Chris Paul is going to have to accept a diminished role coming off the bench 
for this Warriors team. And what worries me is, like, teams teams remember like Chris Paul is completely worn down over the course of like the the second half of the season. It's the playoffs over the last two years, right? You know, in, in 2021-2022 season when Phoenix was, you know, the big, you know, the number one seed, uh, everyone's picked to, to win the finals that year. And he and the team itself kind of shit the bed in the playoffs, right? And I worry about Golden State investing in a 38-year-old aging guard that has only gotten worse over the past few seasons. Um, certainly in this year's playoffs, uh, he was disappointing. Only averaging 12 points per game um, in, in 35 minutes uh, with seven assists on you know, 41% shooting from the field, 32% from three. Uh, you know, this is a 36% career guy, 37% from three on his career. So I just don't necessarily know if this is the kind of guy you want to be investing in for Golden State. You know, they they obviously have a ton of money tied up in, in two guys, in Clay and Steph and, and, and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, they're, they're, they're sacrificing youth in pool, and I know they picked up uh, the guy from Santa Clara in the draft, so that'll be a nice cheaper contract to maybe go in and replace Pool. But is he going to to be able to contribute at a high level um, from day one? That remains to be seen. I just don't think this move really moves the needle that much for Golden State at this point. Um, you know, do you play like do you rest Chris Paul the first few months of the season, maybe only playing him one game a night, and then start ramping him up in February, March, April, heading into the playoffs? Maybe is he is he going to be okay taking a diminished role on this team? You know, Chris Paul has certainly always been the kind of guy that wants to be playing a huge role on on his team. You know, being the number one or number two option. You know, we saw how things worked with Russell Westbrook. Um, they didn't. James Harden. They never got over the hump, even though the the partnership did work uh, for a few years there. Um, but I'll be very curious to see how he handles the the, the, the diminished role that he's ultimately going to play in Golden State. Uh, and, you know, there's always there's also been that beef kind of with him in Golden State dating back to, to the Clippers days, dating back to the Houston days. Um, they've been in some battles. So um, I'll be curious, and I'm sure they're all friends the way it works now in the NBA. They all will ultimately get along. Um, but just a curious, you know, thing to follow. And I, I do think it's, it's interesting how Chris Paul's, you know, Certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer, but you know he's been traded five times in his career now. He was traded from the Hornets to the Clippers, then he was traded from the Clippers to the Rockets, then he was traded from the Rockets to the Thunder, then he was traded from the Rocket, or then he was traded from the Thunder to the Suns, and now he was traded from the Suns to the Wizards and to and then to Golden State. I would really only count that as one trade because he never played a game for the Wizards. So, nonetheless, you know, a player as good as him has never gotten a ring. He played in one finals. His legacy will be something, you know, that will be very interesting to look back on 10, 15 years from now um, after his, you know, his career is over. Because if he does end up finally winning a ring here in Golden State, he's just not going to be playing as big of a role as he did um, with Houston, with with L.A. You know, those are the two teams that he really had a chance of winning one with, and, and Phoenix as well. You know, they were in the finals. So Phoenix, Houston, and L.A., um, those were the teams that you felt like he had a chance of winning a title with. And I thought also what he did with Oklahoma City, with that really young team leading them to a to a playoff berth in the bubble season, um, was very impressive as well. 
so you know he's got a great track record but if he eventually does win a ring with golden state He's not going to be playing that big role that he was on all of those other teams. So how is that viewed? Is it going to be like a Gary Payton winning one with Miami um, in 2006 where you know he wasn't really playing much of a role at all? So I, I, interesting trade. I like it much more for Washington. You know, I, And I think Washington's putting together a bit of an interesting young core. you got Tyus Jones, who's going to be a free agent after next season. Jordan Poole, you would think, is kind of going to be their number one option now moving forward. You have Landry Shaman, who's... A, you know, move around a lot in his career, but he's still a tradable piece. You got Daniel Gafford, uh, Danilo Gallinari now, Denny Abdia, a great defensive player, Corey Kispert, who can shoot it from three, um, and Johnny Davis, who, I mean, couldn't have gone any worse last season. So this guy's, you know, he's only going to get better. He can only get better at this point for Johnny Davis. I think this team still screams worst team in the East. To me, I just, I don't know of any teams that can be worse than what they're putting out there. You know, Jordan Poole, um, I just think he was in such a tough situation to succeed in Golden State after everything that happened last season uh, with the Draymond punch. You know, imagine your coworker punch you in the face. Like, you're not going to perform well after that. There's going to be tension there, naturally. So I think it's good to, to get him out of there um, from, you know, looking at his career um, and his personal growth. Um, you know, he's going to be shooting... 20, 30 shots a game. Uh, so he'll probably put up 25, 30 points a game as well. Um, most improved player? I don't know. He's going to certainly get much more, uh, a bigger role. And I do think there, there is a good player there. You know, he showed it uh, in that playoff run in, in 2022. I think it, that playoff run was a little bit overrated for him. He His numbers did get worse every series that year. Uh, in, in the finals, he really was, you know, his minutes were cut significantly. But he was great in that Denver series. Um, he was great that season. And I just think this season, you know, he's so young. He was, what, 23, 24 this year. It's tough to be good in that situation. So I don't want to ding him that badly, you know, for one off season because um, of what happened with Draymond Green heading, heading into the season. And it's, you know, it's hard being a, a score first guy on a team that has Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, um, but more importantly, Steph and Clay. Um, it's tough to be a score first guy on that on that kind of team. So now, when he's going to be the primary scorer, you know, you'd expect him to fully uh, embrace that role and and hopefully, you know, turn his career around from where uh, from that bad season last year. And again, he's so young that he certainly can do that in Washington. I think he's going to get uh, the least to do that. And you know, I look forward to to what he can do and what what kind of numbers he can put up next year. So I, you know, overall, I like this trade more for Washington than I do Golden State. I just don't know what um, they're like. Chris Paul's not a needle mover for them next season. He's faltered down the stretch, really. You know, these last two seasons, but throughout his entire career, you know, he he's find found ways to 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 lose series, lose games down the stretch in in the playoffs. Uh, and he's owed $30.8 million next season, which is a ton of money for a guy that we just don't know what to expect from him at this point in his career. Um, so th- this is a trade no one saw coming. I don't think anybody saw this one coming yesterday uh, in the middle of the afternoon. But certainly uh, an, an interesting one nonetheless, and we'll definitely have to, to keep tabs on it next season. And then the other deal that happened this week, a bit of a blockbuster as well, maybe less so than the CP3 and Brad Beal trades, but we had a three-way trade between the Celtics, 
Grizzlies, and Wizards. The Celtics acquire Kristaps Porzingis, the 25th pick in 2023 and the 24, uh, 2024 first rounder. The, the Grizzlies acquire Marcus Smart, and the Wizards acquire Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, the 35th pick in the 2023 draft. Um, and there were a million different picks um, being traded from, from Boston last night that it, honestly was, I, I lost track. Nonetheless, their, their big trade of the week, they got Chris Tapps from the Wizards, who has a um, player option that he picked up um, for next season. So he will be a free agent um, after the, the, the upcoming season. Um, there was the deadline to pick up player options um, was Thursday or Wednesday at midnight. Um, there was a, you know, a deal that fell through with the Clippers that involved Malcolm Brogdon getting shipped from Boston to, to L.A., there, the, that deal fell through because the Clippers weren't able to get a physical on Malcolm Brogdon in time, and he does have a, a long history of injury, so they were kind of cautious there. They didn't get the physical. That deal fell through. Um, that's when I went to bed. It was like 10 o'clock central, and then like an hour later while I was sleeping, they move and, and make this move. So, you know, Chris Stapps is now the, the highest paid player on, on, the, on the Boston Celtics next season at $36 million a year. He did certainly have a rejuvenated season for the Wizards last year. Um, he was certainly disappointing in um, in Dallas with Luca, and his stock hadn't been any lower. He goes to the Wizards and kind of gets his career back together. You know, this is obviously a guy that struggled with injury uh, during his time in in New York. He's able to play sixty five games for the Wizards next year or last year. Averaged a career high twenty three points a game on um, you know pretty efficient shooting thirty eight percent from three on five attempts fifty uh, percent from the field on fifteen attempts. You know he's a guy that's going to be able to give the Celtics front court a different look. You know they obviously had Robert Williams and Al Horford um, last season. Um, Horford another year older, not so sure. Um, what he's going to be able to contribute. He still has two years left on his contract, and he's 37 years old. Robert Williams is a guy that's you know battled injury really throughout his entire career, but is still a very good rim protector when he's on and lob threat. Chris Tapps is more of a modern big. He's going to be able to stretch the floor. Um, they could run a three-big lineup if they wanted to with Chris Tapps stretching the floor, being able to shoot threes in the corners, um, and you know be a rim protector while Rob Williams and Al Horford are on the bench. If I had to make a prediction, I would say, you know, we're going to see Al Horford's minutes, minutes uh, diminish significantly next season. And, um, you know, Przingis is, is certainly going to fill some of those. Hopefully he can stay healthy from a Boston perspective. You know, he's he's been able to stay relatively healthy um, over the, you know, the last, well, obviously last season. Um, he played 51 games in 21-22, so he missed 30, 31 that year. Um, 43 games in the 2021 season, and then missed all of 18-19 with an ACL. Um, so, you know, he's a seven-footer, seven-foot-three, um, and has battled injuries throughout his entire career. So, you you, you know, if, if you're Boston, you hope he stays healthy. Um, and who knows, if this really works out, and, you know, and, and Chris Tapps earns um, a contract extension with Boston, you're happy, right? And if it doesn't work out, if things... Um, go poorly for them next year. He doesn't fit in with the with the roster, or he just gets hurt, and then you move on from him. 
and you know he's a free agent next offseason anyway. So I think it makes sense for Boston. You know, moving on from Marcus Smart, I think it was time, and, and I know the Boston fans are devastated. And I understand why, you know, he's a guy that thought he was going to retire with the Celtics. Apparently he was devastated. Um, he, you know, felt like he was blindsided by this move. Uh, he, he had been in Boston his entire career. I mean, he was there, he was drafted in 2014. Um, he was there before Jason Tatum. He was there before Jalen Brown. Um, he's played a lot of minutes for them. He's played a lot of key playoff games. He's taken a lot of big shots for them. He's been the heart and soul of their team for so long but maybe that was starting to wear off. Maybe his pull within the locker room was starting to wear off. You know, a, a lot of people were frustrated with some of the shots that he took. Um, there was a report from Kevin O'Connor in the playoffs last year that the Celtics are, are tired of acting like they like each other. Maybe Marcus Smart wa- wasn't as popular in that locker room as maybe, you know, outsiders may think. I'm not so sure. You know, he won the, the defensive player of the year uh, in the 21-22 season. Um, but last year certainly took a step back defensively. Maybe it was fatigue on his body. You know, it's a guy that's on the floor flopping around, um, taking hits, laying out on the floor, diving for loose balls and, and playing really hard. He's, you know, he's a guy that's done that ever since he entered the league almost 10 years ago at this point. So maybe, you know, maybe this makes sense for Boston moving on from him and getting a good return, um, the fact that they got two first-round picks for Memphis, uh, a 2023 um, first-rounder and the 2024 first-round pick from Golden State. Now, Golden State's probably not going to be that – or that pick from Golden State probably won't be that good next year because we project Golden State to be you know, top-four team in the West. Nonetheless, you still get two first-round picks. I thought those picks should have gone to Washington in this deal. So Boston certainly winners. They get a flyer on Porzingis, a one-year trial run if it works out. Resign them. If it doesn't, they can move on, and they'll have some cap, some cap space to to work around uh, Tatum and Brown still. So ultimately, it seems like Boston is committed to the Tatum Brown combination for as you know polarizing it as it has been over the last um, year. I would say um, following their run to the finals, um, their playoff run this year. Um, there was a lot of talk that maybe they're going to break it up, but I, I think you know now it's pretty certain that Jalen Brown's going to get that max extension and they're going to run run it back with Tatum and Brown with a different look um, of Porzingis um, as a big man for this team next year so I love the move for for Boston I think it makes a lot of sense I also really like the move for the Grizzlies you know bringing in a, a culture setter a guy that you know will not be afraid to stand up to John Morant and some of these young guys and, and call him out if they're acting up um, he is going to be a dog defensively. He's going to be a, a culture setter, I think, a guy that's going to be diving on the floor for loose balls, like I said. Um, a true grit and grind type of player. And obviously there's the parallels with Tony Allen, both getting traded from the Celtics at age 29 to Memphis, both playing at Oklahoma State, both being guards, both being defensive-minded guards. But I think Marcus Smart is different than Tony Allen in the fact that he is certainly much more of an able scorer. You know, only shot 33% from three last year um, and, and 41% from the field, averaging 11 points. I think he's going to get a bigger role in Memphis, certainly, you know, when John Moran's out for the first 25 games of the season. Um, he's going to be able to fill that role, run the point. And then when Jaw comes back, I think we're going to see like Jaw Smart and, and Bain, maybe Bain bulks up even more this offseason 
offseason is able to run a little bit of a three for the Grizzlies next year. Um, so I, I think Smart is, is certainly a huge, huge upgrade from Dylan Brooks and Tyus Jones in this deal. Um, he's you know he's going to be going to be able to run pick and rolls with Stephen Adams. He's he's going to be able to really do whatever the Grizzlies need him to do when Morant is gone. And I think he's definitely an upgrade from Tyus Jones. Now, a lot of people um, from a national perspective are talking about how losing Tyus Jones is, is a huge loss for the Grizzlies. He was so good uh, when John Morant was out. He was able to fill those minutes. And he's, you know, there was also rumors that he wanted to get a starting role in this league and that he deserves it. And I think he does. And I think you know, the Grizzlies were, were willing to help him out there. Um, he's certainly a starting caliber player. Again, he's in a contract year. So maybe the Wizards spin him at the deadline to a contender you know, and you know he can play some key minutes for a contender. I do want to make the point that he was pretty disappointing for the Grizzlies in, in the playoffs last year. He only averaged four points in that series against the Lakers in the first round uh, in, in 20 minutes. So he's playing key minutes. Obviously, he started that game that Ja missed with the hand injury. Uh, he only shot 15% from three, 30% from the field. Um, and I know it's one serious small sample size, but he just looked lost out there. Uh, you did not feel confident. The, the Lakers were leaving him open for a lot of um, you know his jumpers from behind the arc. So I, I worry about that, considering you know he was averaging 10, um, 10 and five in the regular season on thirty seven percent from three, forty three percent from the field. Like he is certainly a starting caliber point guard in this league. And as he gets more minutes um, with the Wizards this year. I could see him being a 15 and five type of guy, 15 and seven type of guy. Um, but I do think it makes sense for the Grizzlies to move on from Tyus because I, I think Marcus Smart is a big upgrade. And I think he's he's a culture guy. He's under contract for three more seasons. He's been in the league for a long time. You know, he's not going to be afraid to stand up to Jaw and, and whoever for goofing off. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for the Grizzlies making this move. No one really, you know, saw it coming necessarily. Um, but but I do think um, it makes a lot of sense. I think the Grizzlies are probably going to uh, stand pat with um, what they got in this trade and probably not make many more moves um, throughout the course of this offseason. And then from the Wizards' perspective, it's a decent enough move. I think and we'll talk about the, the Beal deal here in a second as well. Not getting a single first-round pick for Brad Beal and Kristaps Porzingis is disappointing. Um, I like this move, getting a solid veteran point guard. Also, Gallinari, who never got the chance to play for the Celtics. We haven't seen him um, for an entire season, uh, but he can be a scoring forward for them as well. Um, Mike Muscala didn't play much of a role for Boston. Um, decent, you know, him and Gallinari are pretty similar players, three-point shooters that uh, are, you know, can stretch the floor as forwards. Um, so, I mean, to dump... I, I just thought, I really, like I said earlier, I thought the Wizards should have been the team that got those two first-round picks in this deal. I'm not sure why Memphis had to ship those to Boston. I thought Boston you know, probably would have been fine getting just Porzingis in this move and sending those picks to Washington. So for Washington, I'd probably give this a, a bit of a, like a, a, a C, C plus, especially if they lose Jones next summer or don't even trade him. You know, if he's basically, you know, takes his place this season in Washington and walks like then you look back on the trade and it's like okay we got Gallinari and Muscala for Chris Asporzingis um, and, and the 35th pick in this year's draft that remains to be seen but overall I, I, if I had to rank the winners in this trade I think it would be Boston 1 
Memphis a close second, and then Washington a distant third. And and, and you know, we can talk about the the, the Wizards Suns trade that went down last Saturday. I want to say it was Saturday uh, last weekend, um, which sent Bradley Beal to the Suns for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, six second round picks and four pick swaps in 2024, 26, 28, and 2030. So basically, the Suns are eviscerating their future for a core of Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker. And also, you know, they, they do also have DeAndre Ayton still under contract. They clearly, blatantly do not care about the, the luxury tax whatsoever. They're obliterating, obliterating the second apron um, and are, are going to be willing to pay the penalties that come with the uh, those violations and you know this is again probably another case of new owner syndrome you know if, if you think about it the the Suns traded cam johnson Cal bridges uh, chris paul a all their future draft capital for kevin durant and bradley beal do you think that moves the needle like are the Suns in a better situation now than they were in January. I mean, you, it, it's it's. I, I feel like it's a realistic question. You have a Kevin Durant who, you know, yes, he was good in the, in the playoffs, but he's battled injuries pretty much every season for the last, since he went to Brooklyn. Um, and he's at 47, 51, and 54 over the next three seasons. He'll be 38, 39 years old by the time his contract runs out. That'll probably be the end of his career. You have Bradley Beal, who's 30 years old, who is just not the player that so many people think he is. Like, sure, he's been, you know, the the primary scorer for the Washington Wizards for, you know, the 10 years that he's been in the league. Sure, cool. But we haven't seen him play meaningful basketball in quite some time, and he's owed an absolute crazy amount of money. It's just hard to justify paying Bradley Beal 46, 50, 53, and $57 million over the next four seasons. And you pair that with Booker, who is also, you know, a max, super max guy. And Aiden, who also just signed a max extension. So they have so much money tied up in these four players that I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do with their with the bench. I mean, right now, the players they have on the roster are Campaign, Jordan Goodwin, Ishmael Rainwright, and Isaiah Todd. They're not going to be able to bring back Torrey Craig. They're not going to be able to bring back Josh Kogi. They're probably not going to bring back Terrence Ross and TJ Warren, two guys that didn't play a role for them in the playoffs last year, which I thought they probably should have played more, more of a role than they did. And now, it's like, okay, you're putting all your eggs in the Kevin Durant basket, but I don't know how well he's going to age. He's been hurt. Devin Booker, I think, yes, he's in his prime. Um, so maybe you can make a run in the next two seasons. But in you know, come 2025, I just think it, the run will probably be over. And um, I don't know, Matt HBF, like, completely obliterated this team's future for this core that I just – We've never seen Bradley Beal be anything other than the primary scorer on his roster, on the team that he plays for. And the three-point numbers with Bradley Beal, I'm pulling that up right now, are just not as good as you you think they are. Um, He was a 36% shooter from three last year, 30% in 21-22, 34 in 2020, 2021. I mean, he's a 37% three-point shooter on his career, but that's because he had a few seasons early on when he was shooting 40% and upper 30s. Um, but that's fallen off significantly over the past five seasons. And also on top of that, he's been hurt. You know, last year he only played 50 games for the Wizards. Uh, the year before he played 40. This guy hasn't played 82 games 
since 2018-2019. Ever since then, 57 games, 60 games, 40 games, 50 games. He's been hurt. He's 30 years old, so you'd think he's in his prime, but he's owed so much money. And we've never seen him. Is he going to be able to be a screener? Is he going to be able to play off the ball, you know, as a facilitator for for um, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant? Also, who's running the offense? Like, who's going to be their who's who's going to be their point guard? Who's going to be the guy that's okay with you know not taking the last shot, not taking the shots down in crunch time? I just don't necessarily know if this team's that much better from a basketball perspective that it was in, in January. I I know the record was was rough. Um, last season, but you know that was because Devin Booker was injured. I I I, th- I think they once Ishbia took took over, they could have maybe just moved on from Chris Paul and and tried to build um, around whatever they got back in that trade. But you know, trading so much for Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, I just don't like it. I think it's you're putting your eggs in. in a, you're getting in bed with players that maybe I wouldn't want to get into bed with at this point in their career. Um, and I, uh, remains to be seen. I think they'll probably move DeAndre Ayton this offseason. You know, he's a guy that I worry about his 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 work ethic, his want to. He might be one of those guys that, you know, the, the whole thing with centers is they're so tall their whole life. They've been told, hey, you're, you know, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, Why aren't you playing basketball? Like, you should play basketball. You're, you're tall. You'd be really good. Maybe he's one of those guys that one of those big men that was kind of just forced to play basketball because he was tall, and he doesn't really love the game. He doesn't love the craft. There's been reports that Monty Williams didn't like coaching him. Obviously, you know, heading into the draft when he was drafted in 2018, number one overall, he said that his goal in the NBA is to reach a second contract. Well, he reached a second contract, and you know, right away we've seen a lack of effort from him, uh, rebounding, boxing out, you know, just doing the little things. Um, if there's one thing you can control in, in life, and but in sports, is it's your want to and your attitude um, and, and your work ethic, and you question that with Aiton. So, you know, that's the guy you would love to move on from if you're Phoenix, but what's the trade value out there? Because all the NBA executives know this about DeAndre Ayton, and he, he has a huge contract. He's owed $32 million next year, then 34 then 35 I don't think, you know, it's going to be one of those trades where you trade Aiton and split them into three three lesser pieces that help balance out your salary cap a little bit more, balance out your rotation a little bit more. It's not going to be a like-for-like trade if if you're Phoenix for Aiton. So, I don't know, maybe an Indiana wants him. Maybe uh, Washington takes on that contract. They've been very active this offseason, but do you want to build around DeAndre Aiton if you're, if you're Washington? I wouldn't. So he's one of those guys, kind of like Damian Lillard, where it's hard to find where you think he, he's going to land. I just don't think there's that many trades out of there for DeAndre Aiden at this point. And I don't think, I just, I, I'm not sold on a, on a Beal, Booker, um, Durant core. Um, I'll believe it when I see it with Bradley Beal being able to, you know, play off the ball, facilitate, cut to the basket, um, and, and, you know, maybe even be a screener at times. Um, so I'll, I'll be very curious to, to see who runs that offense for them. Because I don't think Cameron Payne is going to be their starting point guard all season long. Um, and I don't like this deal at all for Washington either. Because, well, first of all, you should never, you should have never allowed Bradley Beal to, to have a no trade clause on his contract. He's just, first of all, he's not, no, you know, there's like three players in the league that are good enough to have that, that no trade clause. He's certainly not one of them. And you get Chris Paul, who's now gone. You turn him into Jordan Poole. 
um, and a couple uh, and a couple picks. Um, and, and you get Landry Shaman, who they're probably going to end up moving. You get pick swaps with um, with Phoenix, who which you know by twenty eight and twenty 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 eight and twenty thirty, maybe in twenty twenty six, those could be good picks because I think Phoenix is you know six years from now is, is going to be one of the worst teams in the league, which is you know classic new owner syndrome like. Matt Ishbia so all in on now is not thinking about how much it's going to suck owning this team 10 years from now, right? You know, you'd think he's still going to be the owner then, right? He's not going to just turn around and sell the team. So Phoenix just, they're too all in on right now. And I know, I know it's all about winning right now, but you don't have to completely sacrifice your entire future to win now, right? There's ways to build teams. I just don't think Phoenix is doing it right. And this trade sucks for the Wizards. I basically traded Bradley Beal, who is just more valuable than Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and a ton of second-round picks. Now, maybe those pick swaps end up being good, like I said. But I think you could have gotten more for Bradley Beal. If you trade him to Miami, you probably could have got like three or four first-round picks. I think Miami would be willing to give those up. If you traded him to Portland, I think you could have got Dame back. For, for Bradley Beal, obviously. If you're Washington, you probably would have had to package KP in that deal as well. But I, I thought this return for Washington was extremely disappointing. Uh, but, you know, they're starting fresh, brand new GM, new new regime over there in Washington. Um, and they just wanted to get clean of, of Beal and Porzingis. And it makes sense. You know, they weren't a good team last year with them on, on with Beal and KP on the team. And... So, you know, for as highly thought of as Buell and Porzingis are, they, they had them on the same team last year and they were terrible. So I think that speaks to their talent levels. Um, we'll see how Buell plays with a much better team. We'll see how Porzingis looks with a much better team in different roles. Um, but, yeah, curious to, to see what the Wizards um, can, can do next season, what all of these teams can do next season with, these, with the deals that went down recently. Um, obviously, we expect a lot more news coming in the next few weeks as free agency heats up. We got summer league, um, and uh, you know, so the off season is, is is just getting started. It's one of the best times of the year to be a basketball fan. Um, so you know, stay tuned. Again, like I said, more content is coming. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, also, one note: the Bulls not expecting Lonzo Ball to play at all next season with a knee injury. Just so unfortunate. Um, probably not going to see him play ever again. For as much as I hate to say, you know, he, did, he missed all of last season with that knee injury. Um, guy just might have chronic knee knee problems, and the Bulls are still paying him a ton of money, um, and he hasn't played in, in now two full seasons. Um, just sad, sad story. Uh, sucks for the Bulls, obviously, but it sucks more for Lonzo, who I'm sure just wants nothing more to, to be out there playing basketball. And man, that Bulls team was fun at the start of the 2021-22 season uh, with DeRozan, Levine, and Lonzo. Uh, first team, first place in the East for like half the season that year. And then Lonzo got hurt and, and things started to go south for, for the Bulls. I think that's one of the bigger what-ifs in recent NBA history is what if that Bulls team stayed healthy? What if Lonzo was able to stay on the court? Because uh, they were, man, they were a lot of fun to watch. And they, they like I said, they were the best team in the East for like half the season um, until... Alonzo got hurt, and now the Bulls are in a really tough situation. I, I think the Bulls uh, should move on from Levine and DeRozan this offseason. They should have done it at the trade deadline, but 
They didn't, and and now they sit here in the offseason with those guys still on the roster. I think they got to move on from both of them and kind of just start fresh with Vucevic as a free agent. Um, move on from those guys. You're not going to do anything next season anyway. Just tank, get a, get a good pick, and, and and get somebody to build around moving forward. Anyways, I, I just saw that headline come up, so I wanted to, to cover that real quick as well. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun making it. So much going down in the NBA, as always. Um, and I imagine you know there'll be some emergency podcasts coming here soon. Me and Armand are going to be both back home in Memphis next week, so fully expect uh, the two of us to do one of our classic NBA offseason podcasts, um, as we do so often every you know every summer. Uh, last year we were in LA for it. This year we'll be, we'll be back home in Memphis. Nonetheless, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, and we'll be back probably this weekend with Luis for an MLB pod. I'm going to be talking Miami Marlins, going to be talking some buyers and sellers at the deadline, kind of trade deadline primer, get your uh, you know mind situated on what to expect um, at this year's MLB trade deadline. So stay tuned for that. Hope you enjoyed listening to this one. Appreciate you if you made it this far. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media. I can pull up the, the handles real quick. Our our Instagram is just all caps, or sorry, all lowercase, no spaces, the Critics Corner Pod. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Critics Corner 11. So go give us a follow on both of those platforms. Um, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace out.